0: Hi, this is Dr. Eric Fields and welcome to my new podcast, Addiction and the New Trend of Treatment. Uh, more specifically, the new trend of treatment that I will be discussing with you, one that I'm a practitioner of, is called the Harm Reduction Approach. And the Harm Reduction Approach is really a much more flexible open-minded, all-inclusive treatment approach that utilizes um, certain guidelines in terms of any goals that are valuable to the patient, are valuable to the provider. Uh, So what that essentially means is if you think that abstinence Is the best goal for you? We support that. If you think cutting down, um, you know, X amount of percent uh, in your usage is a worthy goal, we support that as well. Um, And we also support people with addiction issues who are not ready to cut down their usage or even necessarily. Directly address their usage, but want to try to start making positive changes regarding their um, Emotional coping skills their personal skills um, Different situations in their life Um, You know, maybe a kind of coaching is what they're seeking, but essentially what we're really looking for in the harm reduction approach is finding a valuable goal to our patients and working with them to accomplish that goal and with that being said, not being content and always trying to question them to see if there's more progress that can be made after a bit of progress has already uh, happened. So. That's essentially the framework we're working within, and the tools are many that we're utilizing. Um, Quite often, we're using an eclectic approach like I use, um, which involves cognitive behavioral therapy, sometimes some kind of insight-oriented techniques such as psychodynamic to really get to the root causes, um there are also uh, different skills that we're teaching. So there's skill-based approaches very similar to dialectical behavior therapy. Um, there's acceptance, uh, I'm sorry, acceptance and commitment therapy techniques uh, that are also very valuable to utilize within this framework. Uh, that, that's another newer treatment approach like DBT. Uh, so there's a lot of different strategies and skills that we're using to get our patients to that next level, um, you know, in terms of their personal journey and you know their progress ultimately. Myself, I also have uh, a leverage technique that I utilize that is is really more about identifying key areas in one's life that will be easier to make progress in at first or initially thereby kind of getting them getting the ball rolling and you know having this kind of positive feedback loop where they're starting to have some successes and they're feeling good about themselves and then that makes them more motivated to try and tackle maybe some more difficult areas in their life Um, and you know with that being said you know we're also utilizing uh, a bunch of other types of therapeutic techniques uh, even some unconventional ones like uh, substitutive behavior in terms of if they're having a lot of difficulty with one substance and they really enjoy using uh, some kind of mind-altering substance, then we're open to the idea of maybe substituting to another substance that has less harmful effects for them um, and may not have such uh, a, a propensity for them to become a problem user with that substance. So there's a lot of tools that we're using at our disposal within this approach and it's quite different from traditional treatment approaches that demand abstinence um, and especially in terms of addressing the underlying reasons, demanding that the patient be abstinent um, when they start treatment or for even a period of time before starting treatment. Um, it's quite different from that, and we really find with these uh new with this new harm reduction approach that a lot of those ideas not only are outdated um but are ineffective and and even downright harmful to a degree so this is really a new trend for addiction treatment and the one thing that I absolutely love about it is it's all encompassing it it's it 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 takes anyone, no matter what path they're on in their journey. Um, and it's accepting of anybody, regardless of where they are on their journey. Um, we we never turn down patients. We never say, no, you're not right for this treatment because um, you're using this or you're using too much or you're not addressing uh, the real issues or you're in denial or, you know, we don't use those kinds of terms. We do use techniques to try to um, really have a patient self-reflect and be as honest with themselves as possible, such as motivational interviewing techniques, that's another set of techniques that we utilize. Um, But we're not forcing goals down their throats and we're very accepting and non-judgmental in terms of what they want and what they're seeking. Um, And sometimes those goals change and you know what? because as a therapist we're not coming across as so demanding or judgmental um, in any way or um, um, requiring anything in particular necessarily. Um, the, The chances for a patient to become resistant is greatly reduced and so therefore if they do feel that they erred in their judgment in terms of what they're seeking or what's appropriate for them, they're much more apt to be able to recognize that and acknowledge that to a therapist such as myself, as opposed to one who may be more judgmental or have these preconceived ideas or these rigid ideas in terms of what treatment is supposed to look like, etc., etc., etc. So that's what the podcast is about. This episode that uh, that is underway here, the first one, is really going to talk about the economics of addiction treatment. And when I say addiction treatment, anytime I use that term from here on out, you can assume that I'm talking about this new trend of addiction treatment, uh, the type that I practice. So, I thought that this would be the perfect topic to start with because one of the big considerations for anyone who is thinking about undergoing treatment um, usually has to do with the uh, finances of treatment or the cost of treatment. And this is you know a legitimate concern, especially because in the psychotherapy world, It tends to be the case that the better therapists do not take insurance um, and they want to be paid what they think they're worth. And what they think they're worth is a lot more than what the insurance companies think they're worth. (laughs) Um, And what they think they're worth, they are worth and, 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 and much more so it's unfortunate that the insurance companies do not pay um what they should be paying therapists for in terms of all the good they do and just how invaluable their services have been to so many people but you know what it is what it is we could spend the whole podcast just talking about that if we wanted to um rather than that i prefer to just give you A little blurb about why that seems to be the case in terms of how many times you go searching for a therapist and you find oh wow they don't take my insurance in fact they don't take any insurance Um, why is that why why every time uh, do I find a therapist that looks great they have a great website and um, a great presence and um, lots of success stories and everything else they never seem to take my insurance and and Unfortunately, that, that seems to be the case. One thing I will throw out there as a caveat is certainly not to say that any therapists who take insurance are not good. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that every therapist out there who doesn't take insurance is good. Um, but it tends to be the case that the better therapists with the better reputations, um, they're at a certain point place where they can command the appropriate fees and not have to settle for those subpar uh, third-party reimbursement fees from the insurance companies. Okay, so with that being said, how much money are we talking? So it depends really on a variety of factors. One of the most prominent factors is Geographical location. So, in other words, how expensive is treatment going to be will depend a lot on where you live. So, for example, in New York City, where I practice and live, um, it can be quite costly to go to therapy. Um, The average tends to be a couple hundred dollars a session. And at first glance, that may give a lot of people reason for pause. And they may say, whoa, hey, you know, a couple hundred dollars, $200 for a, a session sounds like a lot of money. Well, when we're dealing with addiction, it's very interesting because addiction treatment, in my mind, tends to be the type of treatment that you can, um you can kind of uh look at from a more dollar and, and cent perspective um than you can maybe other kinds of mm-hmm. treatments such as treatments solely for depression or anxiety or, or 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 that so in other words what i'm trying to say is we can objectively look at the pros and cons regarding the cost of treatment an addiction a little bit more straightforwardly than we can for other things. Now, I will tell you that, and again, this could be for another podcast in and by itself, I can tell you that at a certain point, you cannot put a price on happiness and personal fulfillment. And so for those reasons alone, any treatment is worth it. In my mind, that you know is going to lead to you um, feeling more fulfilled in life, happier, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, more with a purpose and everything else. So you really can't put a cost on it when you come from that perspective. So all treatment um, is worth it in my mind when you look at it from that perspective. But. When we're looking at addiction treatment in particular, we really can look at this in a much more objective way. Um, really, like I said, uh, you know, even from a dollar and cents perspective, it's a lot easier to do than, you know, looking at treatment for um, you know, uh, anxiety or something of that nature. So what I mean is that it's, it's easier to measure in terms of the cost-benefit analysis. So to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, let's say you're somebody who has a pretty extreme uh, cocaine habit, okay, and you're doing cocaine uh, more days than not, and I mean it's easy to, to think of spending Five hundred dollars or more a week on cocaine. You know, it's a a, a pretty uh, costly drug, <laughs> and if you have uh, a real compulsion to it, then it's not far fetched by any means to say that people who have a severe cocaine habit are going to be spending about five hundred dollars or more a week on it, right? So you see where I'm going with this, right? So even if we just greatly reduce your cocaine usage. And even if you were still spending, I don't know, uh, $200 a week on it, right? We cut it in half and then some. um, It's a wash because the extra money that you normally would have spent on the cocaine is going towards treatment. But here's the kicker. You have not spent any more money than you normally would spend. You know, you're spending um, uh, a couple hundred dollars on cocaine and you're spending a couple hundred dollars on treatment. It comes out to how much you suspend, spend altogether on cocaine in the past. But the difference is that you're in a much better place because you're not using as much cocaine. You're using um, half as much as you used to. And so your addiction is not nearly as strong as it was. And because you're not using as much cocaine, you have more time sober that you're now going to be engaged in more productive activities. And therapy is going to help you do all that. You know, aside from just helping you cut down your cocaine usage, it's going to help you. Um, Get more involved in other areas of life that are more fulfilling and meaningful to you Um, Maybe devote more time to work so that you can get to the next level of your career Maybe start focusing on trying to find and create a relationship or repair a relationship Um, Maybe it has to do with going back to school to kind of get you to that next place in life, you know Or it could even have to do with getting more in shape in terms of fitness goals But the bottom line is, is therapy is going to help you do all that and going to make you feel a lot better, okay? So that's one example. Now, some of you out there might be thinking like, all right, well, what about alcohol, right? That's not as expensive as cocaine. Well, (laughs) let's think about that. In New York City, if you have... Um a pretty severe alcohol use disorder, and you're going to the bar a couple nights a week, and then on the other nights, you're coming home with a 12pack of beer, um, and y- you know, or, or maybe a bottle of vodka um, every couple nights. If you add up the cost of that, again, you're talking about easily several hundred dollars a week easily and I'm being conservative. So here here again, you know, is a very similar situation that, you know, maybe you're spending a good three hundred dollars or more a week on alcohol, which really is not um, that hard to conceive of in a place like New York City. And so if we can greatly reduce that alcohol use to the point where you're just going out socially one or two times a week and having a few beers, then you've just covered the cost of therapy and might actually be saving money. <laughs> so it's an, it, it's really interesting to look at it from this perspective, but a lot of people fail to do that. Um, and like I said, it might be more difficult to look at it from this dollar and cents perspective when we're dealing with you know, other kinds of conditions that may be harder to measure as objectively as we can measure the cost of your addiction. You know, it it might be harder, in other words, to measure the cost of your anxiety or the cost of your depression. Of, Of course, intellectually, we can all agree that it has a cost on you in terms of your quality of life, but addiction is one area that I can't think of too many addictions that are free. So in like 90% of all addictions or more, there is a financial cost to it. And so my point is for anyone who's saying, I don't know if I want to do treatment because it might be too costly. Well, one or two things are happening in terms of your error. Either you're not acknowledging how it can offset the costs of your uh, addiction or how much money you spend on it, or you're not hopeful. In other words, you're saying, yeah, this all sounds well and good, Dr. Fields, if it works for me. So the second one we can address in a little while, but let's just stick with the first one. The first one I'm hoping for any of you that have ever kind of had reason, you know, gave yourself reason to pause because of the financial cost of therapy. I'm hoping for those of you listening um, that have had this kind of idea that I'm starting to really get you to think about this from a logical standpoint and really try to change your mind about the cost of therapy Um, in the sense that Uh, A lot of times in the long run, it's not even going to be a wash in the sense that, you know, I used to spend money on um, marijuana all the time and now that money is being put to therapy, for example. In a lot of cases, you're literally going to be spending less money. Because for many, many people, The cost of their addiction over a year um, will actually be more expensive than if they were going to therapy every week for a year. And also think about this, um, this little tidbit that's been found in many of the research studies. Many many people who go through treatment are successful. Okay. And not only are they successful in meeting their goals, um, so if we're talking about addiction, it could be becoming abstinent or greatly reducing their usage, right? So many people are very successful at that, you know, with effective treatment, okay? But not only that, the research also shows that people continue often to make progress when therapy ends. And so when you look at it from this perspective, one, therapy is terminal. You know, unfortunately, somewhere along the line, I don't know how this stereotype came about. Um, Maybe years ago, it was just kind of commonplace for people to spend many years in therapy. I think some of that had to do with the treatment modalities of the time. Um, that kind of, you know, uh, would would say that, you know, you need to be in, you know, therapy for several years in order to really make some substantial changes. Um, But anyway, this stereotype has persisted, and that is not true. You do not, most people do not need to be in therapy for many years um, to make significant changes. Most people can make significant changes And really get a lot of benefit from therapy um, for uh, being in therapy for no more than a year Um, I've had patients make a lot of progress that have had therapy for with me for several months and I've had many many patients a large majority of my patients make substantial progress um, doing treatment with me for under a year okay so, when you think of it from that perspective, okay, so let's even say that the money you used to spend on your addiction is now um, being spent on therapy. And so, financially, it's kind of like a wash. But of course, still, don't forget, you're getting the benefit of therapy and living a more fulfilling <laughs> life and, and, and making progress and, and and feeling more in control and all those benefits. But let's even forget about that. After you're done with treatment, because we're going to assume that you're going to eventually get to a point where you no longer need treatment, Um. now think about maintaining those um, maintaining that progress, maintaining that level of usage or level of abstinence or whatever it is, right, that your goal is, um, and now you're, you're actually saving money, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that would have been blown uh, on, you know, on, on your addiction uh, if you hadn't started treatment. So, that's something to really think about, and then on top of it, the research showing that many, many people continue to make progress, what that means is, not only are you doing as well as you did when you were in therapy, but you're actually doing better once therapy has ended, I'm <clears throat> sorry, once therapy has ended. So you're actually continuing to make more progress what could that look like well during therapy I cut down from drinking three cases of beer a week to only one case for the for the week and then when therapy ended I continued to decrease my drinking to about a 12 pack a week I mean when you look at that from a financial standpoint that's significant right and then especially when we look at some of the more costly drugs like cocaine, um, and opioids like heroin can certainly be very costly um, because of the frequency of usage. So when you look at that, then you can really see the financial benefit directly of therapy. And listen, this is not limited to just substances. It's, think of any kind of addictive behavior. Think of gambling. Think of gamblers people who are addicted to gambling, um, and how much money they typically lose. Okay. Um, it's very rare to see somebody with a gambling addiction who over the course of their addiction has profited. So more times than not in the large majority of cases, um, people with a gambling addiction are in the red. They've lost quite a bit of money over their lifetime. Lots of money. Some have lost astronomical amounts of money. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Think of the cost-benefit analysis of therapy with someone with a gambling addiction who may have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars if it not had been for good therapeutic treatment that they sought out early enough. And so, you know, rather than winding up some point in their life losing their home, they've only lost several thousand dollars. Which, yeah, I know several thousand dollars is still a lot of money, but it's not nearly as much as it could be, right? So that's another example, and we could keep going with this. What about somebody with a sexual addiction that spends money on prostitutes? You know, if you're um, visiting three or four prostitutes a week, I mean, just think of the cost of that and how expensive that could be. And then think of the costs involved uh, in um, getting the substance or fulfilling that addictive desire, okay, in terms of the transportation costs, having to drive around to get it, or um, the mental costs in terms of trying being consumed with trying to get it. And how, you know, if you're doing that at work, it takes away from your work productivity. And so therefore you might have to stay at work longer because you chewed up several hours during the day trying to um, find a dealer who was going to be available after work or a prostitute or something of that nature. So I thought that the best way to start this podcast off was to really... First and foremost, have people understand that therapy, while it may seem costly at first, especially when you're talking about some of the really top providers that don't take insurance, and we'll charge a couple hundred dollars for the session, um, and it does sound pricey, but when you really think about it, especially when you're talking about addiction treatment, it's not hard to see just how much money it potentially could save you. And again, we're only looking at the benefits right now from a financial perspective, which we all know that the main goals of therapy is not to save you money. Um, it's to have you live a more fulfilling enjoyable, happy life. You know, one that you can be proud of, one that has value for you. You can't put a price on that, but if you wanted to put a price on your addiction and seeing if it would save you money with that, I've just proven that it can. Okay, so until next time, I wish everyone um, good mental health and any of those people who are struggling with an addiction, My heart goes out to you, and I really hope that you do decide to make, um, uh, or I, I do hope that you make the decision to start therapy sooner than later.